You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 25 through 34, uh, both this morning and uh, next Sunday. We'll start kind of two weeks uh, looking through what Jesus says here. As you're turning there, uh, my name's Jamin. Welcome. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're watching online, we're so glad you chose to worship with us from wherever you are. This morning, as we move through the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been in for some time now, uh, Jesus wants to have an incredibly important conversation, an incredibly relevant conversation around anxiety. And he starts the conversation with a command. He says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. It's a command. It's a command that he's going to repeat three times in these nine verses. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And if you're like me, you, you maybe question that. You're like, well, some of my life? It's like, no, all of your life. Well, what about all the things in my life that worry me? Like, when I hear that command from Jesus, the thing that I feel when he says don't be anxious is I, I feel anxiety over that. Um, and maybe you're like me. This is not something that is... Um, Irrelevant. It's definitely something that is, uh, like we are right now in the middle, as a, as a society, we're right now in the middle of a mental health crisis. And all signs point towards that crisis getting worse, not getting better. In fact, the Gospel Coalition released a book on anxiety this year that kind of paints the picture of how the crisis began and where we are in it. And they said, you know, the symptoms started early in the 90s as teenagers and young adults were reporting, uh, you know, high levels of stress uh, unable to sleep, feeling overwhelmed in life. That's when suicide rates begin climbing to the point where uh, every year those stats and every year, uh, the, you know, the, the measurable things around mental health were increasing to the point where in 2018, 55% of people said that they feel stress most of the day. Over half of the population said that most of the day they feel stress. In 2019, there was an article written about all of the mental health trends, and the article called this time that we're in the age of anxiety. And their conclusion, after looking at all of the, all of the you know, information and, and all that, what they said was, uh, America seems to be in the midst of a full-blown panic attack. The country is in the midst of a full-blown panic attack. That was 2019, and then 2020 happens. And you don't have to be an expert to guess what that might have meant for a society that was already becoming more and more worried about life, a society already becoming more and more anxious about life. And, and, and that fire of anxiety that was already burning and already spreading, and then a global pandemic, what does it do to that fire? It fuels it. And then, you know, political unrest and turmoil, what does it do to that fire? It fuels it. And then all the controversies tied up in all of that fuels it. And, and what happened is if just based on the numbers, the already high number of anxious people increased at alarming rates in a really short period of time, which brings us to where we are today in June of 2021. It's, it's fair, I think even reasonable, to believe that we are, in this portion of the world that we live, in this moment in history that we live, we are as anxious as any people have ever been. And that's 
debilitating anxiety for some people, and then for others, you know, it could be the kind of anxiety that doesn't even make it into a statistic. It's just this uh, low-grade worry I have over my life that I've just learned to manage and learn to function in. But you, friend, this is an anxious age. We are living in an anxious time, and I wonder if you'd think about something with me. I wonder if you'd think about where you fit in all that. Uh, are you worried? And if you're worried, what are you worried about? If this is the age of anxiety and you're living in the panic attack country, what does anxiety look like for you? What are you anxious about? And then especially what I want you to consider is as a Christian, what, if anything, does Jesus have to say to you about it? What does Jesus have to say to us in our anxious age? Do not be anxious about your life. That's what he says. If you remember with me, he is uh, in a part of the sermon, and, and the whole point of the sermon on the mount is he's telling his disciples um, what it looks like to live in the kingdom. He's teaching his disciples what it means to follow him, and he's covered so much in this sermon, how to pray, who to be, how to respond to your emotions, how to love your enemies, and, and he's covering all that his followers need to live flourishing lives in the kingdom that both is and is to come. And what does he include in that? What is an important part of that lesson for Jesus? Do not be anxious about your life. Anxiety and worry is not a 21st century problem, it's a human problem. And Jesus, his first followers 2,000 years ago experienced it, and he cared about their anxiety then. And his followers 2,000 years after the sermon experienced it, and he cares about our anxieties. And so just our starting place this morning is to agree together from God's Word that part of what it means to follow Jesus is to listen to his words on anxiety. Part of what it means to follow him is, it's to say it another way, to believe about him that he wants our worries. Do you believe that? He wants our worries. He cares about them. He wants to carry them with us. Ultimately, what he wants to do is he wants to uproot them. And so he says, do not be anxious about your life. And then what he's going to do is he offers teaching and, and, and help and questions all aimed at ridding our lives of worry and anxiety. And especially right now, my friend, we need these words. We need these words. Now, before we look at what he says, I want to let you in on a tension that I feel, that I think is really, it's important at least to me that you know that I feel this tension. Um, anxiety, uh, especially with as loaded as that word is now, uh, as much as we make that word hold in our moment in, in time, it's super complex. It's incredibly complicated. And there is a, as I've thought through it and as I've experienced it and as I've ministered to people with it, there is a kind of anxiety, and we'll see this, that Jesus talks about. And it's the kind of anxiety that's connected to sin struggle and control and fear and a desire to manage our lives. But there's also a kind of anxiety that's connected to suffering. There's a kind of anxiety that's connected to a suffering of the mind or an anxiety connected to suffering because of sin that someone else has committed against us and the consequences of the sin that they've committed against us. So please hear me. When we see that Jesus makes our anxiety discipleship issue, and he's going to say over and again, don't be anxious about your life, what it doesn't mean, what it can't mean, is looking at people and slapping some platitude on their anxiety like, you know, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't worry so much. It's just not true. It's more complicated than that. And a platitude like that and a reaction like that is this hyper-spirituality that doesn't respect and honor how complex people are and the way that God made us to where our body and mind and emotions are also interconnected. And we as Christians who believe what we believe about sin and the brokenness in the world, we of all people should understand how sinister that is and how there are forms of suffering that attack the body, and we know that, but there are also forms of suffering that attack the mind. 
And there's a kind of anxiety connected to that suffering that attacks the mind. So some people hear me in their desire to obey Jesus around anxiety. Some people will need more help than others. Some people will need different kinds of help than others, and they'll need to navigate that in community and wise counsel. For many, that might mean seeking medical help. Like, there are different kinds of uh, anxiety and depression that are part of my family's story, many of my family's story. And some of the people that I love most in the world have walked really courageous roads trying to obey Jesus and find peace, and that has included for many of them the help of wise doctors and counselors, and no one should feel shame for that. No one should feel like less than for that. Like what I know in the room, like I know for some this is an intense fight, and the lines between uh, what of this is sin struggle versus what of this is suffering of the mind, those can get really blurry, and that can be really confusing. And so it takes a lot of faith and a lot of work and a lot of help just to function. And what can so easily happen in a space like this, in verses like this, is that you feel condemned and you feel ashamed because peace seems to come so much easier for everyone else around you. Hear me. Please hear me. Jesus never expects you to live someone else's life with obedience. He only calls you to live yours. He calls you to faithfully be honest about your heart before him. So like for you, maybe a low anxiety day for you would be considered a high anxiety day for someone else. And that low anxiety day for you is still your obedience and still your courage and still your love for the Lord on display because God does not compare you to others. He sees your heart. Doesn't compare you to others. He sees your heart. So maybe... Maybe just for my own heart, I need to get out there early on this morning that I understand this to be complex, and I actually don't think what the Bible is doing is trying to oversimplify something that's just not simple. Okay, then there's, good morning, by the way, this started, usually I start with a story about my kids or something like that just to clear the air, and and we didn't do that. Okay, Um, there is another side to that tension that I care just as much about. Like, we want to honor that this is complex and the battle against anxiety does not look the same for everyone, but every single person needs Jesus in it. Everyone. There, there are some that, like, maybe need different kinds of help, but no one needs less than Jesus. No one. No, there is no Christian journey towards healing and peace that does not begin with, stay with, and end with Jesus. None. So my fear is that because the mental health crisis that we're in is so public and so talked about and so resourced that what Christians will do and have done and are doing is looking for answer anywhere and everywhere else except for our Savior. And so we listen to all the other voices today talking and writing and tweeting and forget that 2,000 years ago, the very Word of God, the very Word of God sat on a hill with His disciples on the side of a mountain to have this conversation and His words on this issue are the best there are. They're just the best there are. Nothing is ministered to me in my anxiety, which has been at times intense. Like the, Nothing is ministered to me like the words of our Savior and King, Jesus our Lord. So we, as his people, living in an anxious age in the panic attack country, we need to hang on these words. We need to know them. We need to memorize them. We need to understand them. And then we need to bring our worry underneath them. And that might look complex for some, but all of us, all of us, have the invitation to be led into greater peace by Jesus this morning. Let's look at these words together. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So what he does when he starts the conversation is he gives the command, don't be anxious, and then he gets really specific, and he tells them what to not worry about. Food, drink, and clothing. And what he's doing here is he's naming the worries in the crowd. 
He's got a crowd of people in front of him, and he knows what their anxieties are, and so he wants to get really, really specific about what he's telling them not to be anxious over. They were lower-class people, so they were anxious about uh, the basic necessity of life. They were anxious about food and anxious about clothes. So, so see something. There should be a question that you're asking right now, if you've been with us for a couple weeks now. It's super important to see what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying so that we know what anxiety is and what it's not. Just a few verses ago, what did Jesus command his disciples to ask for? Food. Give us this day our daily bread. So you should want to eat. God wants you to eat. God tells you to pray and ask for food so that you can eat. And then it also, I don't have a Bible verse for this, but it also seems that it pleases God for his people to wear clothes. I think that's, that's, we can be pretty confident about that. You should want to be clothed, right? So he says, don't be anxious about food, don't be anxious about clothes, but we know about God that he wants us to eat and he wants us to want to eat and he wants us to be clothed and he wants us to want to be clothed, right? So then what's the difference between a godly concern for these good things versus being anxious about them? Jesus rounds out the conversation down in verse 34, and he says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Here's the point. You can't eat tomorrow's food. You can't wear tomorrow's clothes. It's good and right to care. It's good and right to care about good things, things that God wants for you. But that care and that concern and those desires can only rightly exist within the limits around your life. Like, when you begin to care outside of what you can actually control, that's when all you have is worry and anxiety. So here's my definition. Anxiety is where our concern, even for good things, has exceeded our control. Anxiety is when concern exceeds control. It's where the concern for food becomes the fear. Oh, man, I might never eat again. And then I will work to make sure that never happens. But I can only work for today, and I can only eat for today. I can't eat for tomorrow. And so all I can do right now, the only work I can do is the work of worry that happens in my head. What am I going to eat tomorrow? What am I going to wear tomorrow? Those are tomorrow's problems. And we're still stuck in today. And we cannot exceed the human limits of the time that frames the barriers of our existence and what we can actually control. As usual, Tim Keller said it better than that. He said, worry is concern about the potential, not the actual. Worry is concerned about the potential, not the actual. Worry is concerned about that which we can't control. We feel the need for control in an area where there is no possibility of control. And what does that cause? Anxiety. He says it this way. Anxiety is the will to control the uncontrollable. It's the desire to control what we cannot control because of the limits. Not only that, but it is... Because it's the potential, not the actual, it's assuming about the potential what I don't know. It's assuming about the future what I don't know. So uh, the other day I'm watching TV with my kids. We're watching some cartoon, some action cartoon. And all of a sudden, the music changes. And it's like somber and dark and ominous. It's the music that plays before something bad happens. It's the music that plays before someone gets attacked. It's the music that plays, but you know this kind of music, right? It's the Jaws music before the shark comes. It's, it's the Vader music before he steps on the scene in Star Wars, right? It's the, it's the sound of dread. That's what it is. It's, it's what dread sounds like. And so that kind of music plays, and my daughter sighs real deep. She goes, <sighs> then she says, something bad's about to happen. <laughs> and she was right. That's the reaction that the music is designed to create. The music is designed to prepare you for that kind of thing. Something bad is about to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it's preparing you for it. It's the sound in the present that prepares you for the immediate future. And guess what? The immediate future is not good. It's painful. And that's what anxiety is. 
It's the music that plays in your mind and your heart that says something bad is about to happen. It's the sounds that you hear. It's the expectation you have of the future, the sound of dread in your soul that is telling you the immediate future is coming, and it's not good. And it's all up to you, and it's all up to me to protect myself from the bad that may or may not be coming. And that's the difference. In the movie, it's a guarantee that something bad is going to happen. But in your life, it's just the assumption. And usually, we're wrong. Usually, it's not right. As Keller says, it's concerned about the potential, but it's assuming about the potential that it's not good. It takes that sound of dread, that music, and it overlays it on every part of our life, especially the things that we value most. So for Jesus' audience, his first audience, he says, oh, no, I won't eat tomorrow, or oh, no, I'll be unclothed tomorrow. I hear that music. I want food, but something bad is going to happen. For most of us, we're not worried about those things like they were worried about those things, but we, that doesn't mean we're less anxious, right? We're anxious about job security, our kids, about our health, about being accepted by others, about our identity and value, about our relationships. And attached to all of those things is the worry of potential harm or hurt or loss. Something bad is going to happen. We hear, we recite, we believe. We live whole days. We will live whole weeks. We will live whole months and whole lives. And the soundtrack of all of that is, oh no, something's coming. Oh no, these things that I love, this, this future that I want, something is going to jeopardize it. Something bad is going to happen. Would you think for a minute with me, how often does that happen for you? How often is that the music that, that plays over the future that you don't know? And I think we, we definitely do that around things that are really significant, like transitions in life and all that. But think about how often maybe it just happens in ordinary, everyday interactions. Like, think about this. Maybe you get a vague text from a friend that says, can we talk? And that's all. Can we talk? Which, that's a bad friend move, right? It's like, help someone out. Don't be cryptic. But anyway, you get that text. Can we talk? And the music playing in your mind says, oh, no. Something bad's going to happen. And you think, man, maybe they're upset with me, or maybe I did something wrong. And so you listen to the sounds of dread in the soul, and all of a sudden, one text from a friend, one vague text becomes your anxious resolve to save a relationship you don't even know yet needs saving. But what do you need to do? What's the only thing that you can do? Have the conversation. Set up coffee. Call them on the phone. What can you do until you have the conversation? Nothing. But what so often happens is because the music says something bad's going to happen, you begin to prepare for the bad thing that you don't know is going to happen, and you play the conversation out before it even happens, and you have the conversation in your mind because what anxiety is is anxiety is trying to solve problems you're not even sure you have yet by living beyond what you can actually control. We can't live in tomorrow. We can only live in today. We can't control the uncontrollable. So all we're left in those moments when we assume, oh, no. Something bad's going to happen. All we have is the worry and fear and anxiety and some feeble attempts to protect us from what we think the music is telling us is coming, which may or may not even be true. And this is what Jesus says, don't do that. That's what he means. Don't, don't live like that. To his crowd, don't listen to the dread that says you'll never eat another meal. Don't listen to the dread that says you'll be unclothed and uncovered. Jesus says, don't be anxious like that. It's good to care, but when your care has exceeded your control, all you can do is worry. And so to put it all together, it's don't listen to those sounds. Don't assume about the future what you don't know. And don't believe the lie that you can do more than you actually can. Or to say it the way Jesus says it, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious. You know what I'm grateful for? Uh, I'm grateful that it doesn't end there. You know, Jesus is so kind, so gentle, so thoughtful. Uh, he, 
seldom will give a command as heavy as that and then leave us to figure it out on our own. He doesn't do that here. Brilliant and gentle, what he begins doing is asking questions, not to shame, not to condemn, but he says, do not be anxious. And then what he will do is he asks these questions and the point of the questions, his hope in them is actually turned down the sound to turn down the dread in our lives. In these questions he's asking, he wants to disarm our worry. And I want to consider three of them with you in the time that we have left. And then we'll pick back up on this conversation next week. He asks three questions. Is life not more than food? He asks, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your life? He asks, are you not more valuable than they? Let's think about those. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing, he asks. So the great treasure, I'm going to give you a chance to amen. The great treasure of the Christian life is that we have in God meaning that suffering and loss cannot take away. Amen. That, was, that made me anxious. Your response made me anxious. It was so bad. Uh, we have meaning that money can't buy, and we have meaning that poverty can't rob. That's true. Because of God, and to have God, and nothing else is to have all that we need. This goes back to what Kevin and John preached the last two weeks. We have a treasure that will not rust, and we have riches that will not fade. And Jesus says when we're anxious, part of what's happening is we've taken good things in our life, and we've elevated them to the place of priority where only God belongs. So see something. There is a direct connection between the idolatry Jesus warns about in verses 19 through 24, and the anxiety he describes in verses 25 through 34. So when he asks, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? What he's inviting us to remember is that life is about God. Ultimately, what life is about, what meaning is about, what flourishing about is about God and being known by God. So where worry is present, it's because we're living as if God is absent. Now, that is a, a simple idea to understand. It's actually something that's really hard to spot in our lives. Um, anxiety and Jesus gives these examples. Anxiety is a struggle that is really subtle because most often it's attached to the good in our lives. It's the subtle shift that happens when we treat good things as God. So food is good, clothing is good, having a job, having children, having friends, dreams for the future, that's all good. And, and, and that's what makes worry and anxiety so easy. It's so hard to detect and so dangerous. Like there are things that the Bible forbids that are really easy to spot. Um, <laughs> You can't have a lust problem and not know about it. You can't. You can't have a murder problem and not know about it. That's, that's pretty clear. Uh, but anxiety, it can exist in your life undetected and undefined for long periods of time. I'll just speak personally. I find in my life, I'm often the last person in my life to realize how anxious I am. Like, the, at least the last person in my, in my circle, my close circle. Like, Carrie, my wife, she'll have to tell me. She's like, hey, you've seemed on edge lately. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, you, you've seemed anxious, maybe kind of been irritable. And I'm like, oh, well, you're not perfect either, right? Um, <laughs> it's marriage. And, and so, but what I've learned is it's often, for me, takes an outside voice that says, hey, something's off. And, and if I pay attention and I step back and I just kind of do the audit of life, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, ministry's been pretty challenging. Our, our church has been through a lot these last two years. Uh, my home life is really sweet, but it's really, really busy, and, and raising kids is really hard. Uh, the Mavs lost a couple nights ago. And so there's just so many things to be really overwhelmed by in my life, right? And when I do the work, which I have to create space for, but if I do the work to reflect and be honest and ask the right questions, 
and bring my heart before God, what I will discover is I will discover how loud the music has been, especially around the good things in my life. How loud the, oh no, something bad is going to happen music has been, especially around the things in my life that are good and right to love. And so how is it possible to be so worried and so oblivious to the worry at the same time? It's like I think and I, I discover, man, the, the dread over these things that I love, and I'll think, man, something bad's going to happen here at Citizens. There's another crisis coming for our church, or something bad's going to happen at home, like the kids need more from me than I'll be able to offer, and somehow I'm going to miss their needs and then ruin their life. And I realize I've been trying to control and get out ahead, but I can only live in today, and I'm limited. And so the noise grows, and I didn't even know. And how is it possible to be so worried and so oblivious to the worry at the same time? Because... Food and clothing are good things. Churches and children are good things. Worrying about them feels righteous. It feels right. Like, I shouldn't be apathetic about those things. And so what that does is it makes anxiety, it makes our worry a struggle that's actually really easy to defend. We can hide a whole host of worry underneath self-justifying defense, right? Like, I work so hard because I want to care for our family, and I think about the future so much because that's good stewardship. My only problem is actually that I care too much. No. That's not true for me. My only problem is that I care beyond what I can control, but instead of humbling myself under those limits, I haunt myself with worry and fear and may not even realize it because worry and fear is tied up within the good things in our lives. And that's what's so subtle about it. Me loving our church is not the problem. Me loving and caring for my children is not the problem, but my fear of the future and my confidence that I can control more than what I can, that's the problem. And because it's a subtle shift, Jesus gives us this question to regularly consider. You would do well. I would do well to ask this daily about our life. Is it not more than food? And the body more than clothing? Is life not more than churches? Is life not more than children? Is life not more than health? Is life not more than pleasure? Is life not more than money? And it's in that question he's reminding us, bringing us back to life is about God. And then Guess what? God. Life is about God. And God is a far better God over our food and over our clothes and over our churches and over our children than any of us will ever be. So it's this question from Jesus ministering to us, shepherding us, uh, trying to uproot the worry in our life. It's this question designed to turn down some of that music so the dread's not so loud, so that we remember this isn't our world. We have a God that we can trust. We certainly cannot be him. He asks another question, so realistic and down to earth. In verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your life? What he's saying is that worry actually has no reward. Anxiety doesn't actually accomplish anything. It doesn't do anything. I heard a pastor who shared a quote from Mark Twain this week. Mark Twain says this, worry is interest paid on a debt that you may never owe. Worry is interest paid on a debt that you may never owe. So remember, it's, it's, it's about the potential, not the actual. It's about trying to prepare for a future that we assume, but that future may never come. The debt is something we may never owe. And, and Twain's point is this, but that's not free. It's not free. If it doesn't happen, it still costs because the stress and anxiety, it demands interest. You pay a tax on it mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally. And so Jesus, just in very simple, realistic terms, just says, look, you know this. You can't add hours to your life. 
No matter how anxious you are, no matter how much you worry, you can't extend your life. In fact, worry can actually hurt your life. Worry can consume your life. Worry can shorten your life. But it cannot add hours to your life. And so he's telling us two things. Anxiety does not. It is powerless to prevent what we fear. Powerless. Now, there's a difference between caring within our limits. The Bible will talk about stewardship. That's not what anxiety is. It's assuming about the future, what we don't know, behaving like we can do more than we can. It's when care exceeds our ability to control. It's the lie that the reward of our worry is preventing harm. And so much, the reality is so much of what we actually fear, we can't protect ourselves from. So much of what we fear is outside of our control. And then I need you to hear this, my friend. Not only does worry not prevent what we fear, worry does not prepare us for what we fear if and when it does come does nothing to prepare us for the hard days of life. Like, it would be like thinking that maybe one day I might have to run a marathon, and so because I think one day I'm going to run a marathon, my solution is I'm just going to sit on the couch for a while. It doesn't prepare. That's worry. It does not prepare you for what you fear. What do you need according to the Bible? What do you need to endure loss? What do you need to endure suffering? Paul tells us in Romans, you need character. You need character. Suffering produces character. Character produces the endurance for the suffering. And then the endurance in the suffering drives the hope deeper in the middle of the suffering. If the things that we fear come, what will we need to endure what we fear? We will need character. But people who worry about the future, about future suffering, they don't forge the character needed for the suffering because what worry does is it makes us perpetually live with our minds and emotions in the future. And character is forged by living in the present. Character is forged by being present with God, by, by developing these practices that we'll talk about more next week of turning our fears of the future over to God in the present, living faithfully in today, not fearfully about tomorrow. It's saying about my worry, uh, keeping it in check by saying my worry can accomplish nothing, but my God can do anything. So I won't pay interest on a debt I may never owe. I will invest time with God who holds the future because I don't. Jesus invites with that question, would you consider just how worthless worry is? Would you consider how empty anxiety is? And maybe that would turn down some of the sounds of dread, or at least, at least put it in its place for how fruitless it is. Third question, and we'll be done. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. We just sang about this. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He repeats the same idea in, in verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown in the oven... Will he not much more clothe you? Are you not more valuable? Are you not more valuable than birds? Are you not more valuable than flowers? Would you? I will get to the point on this. Friend, especially anxious friend, whoever you are, you are going to be okay because you matter to God. You're going to be okay because you matter to God. The people around Jesus are anxious about food and they're anxious about clothes. And so what does he do? He points to the birds who eat and he points to the flowers so brilliantly clothed and he just asks, don't you believe you're worth more to God than they are? Surely. Like, see something so important. Jesus, he, he doesn't say the birds get their worth from the food that they eat. He doesn't say the flowers get their worth from the clothes that God has clothed them with. He says the one who feeds them, the one who's clothed them, has determined they are valuable. And so how much more, if that's true for them, how much more must you, made in his image, matter to him? How much more you, bought with the blood of his son, matter to him? And that's, goodness, that's the worry question. That's the anxiety question for so many. It's a question 
of what will be true about our worth if our worries come true. What will be true about our value if our fears are realized? And Jesus challenges that. You don't get your worth from the things you worry about. On one hand, he says, see how God has already shown his love for you. You can recount all of the ways that God has provided for you. And you and I can recount all of the worries we've had that have never come true because God feeds us and clothes us because we matter to him. But also, also, if you follow your worries to the question of worth, even, goodness, even if what you fear happens, who you are to God won't change. I think what happens often is there's like three movements. It's the worry, but then it's the future that we're trying to avoid. And then because in the future that we're trying to avoid, it means that we don't matter as much. So maybe it sounds like this. What if the job falls apart? That's the worry. Then I never reach my financial goals. That's the future I'm trying to avoid. Then I will be a disappointment. That's my value statement if I follow my worries all the way to what it says about what I'm worth. What if the job falls apart? Then I never reach my financial goals. Then I will be a disappointment. And I need you to hear this. That's not true. That is not true. Even if that happens, you will be okay because you matter to God. Even if that happens, you'll be okay. You will not be a disappointment. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your worst case financial scenario in life is poor on earth, rich in heaven. What if I never marry? Then I will never have someone to love me and share life with me, then I will be lonely and unlovable. No. If that happens, you will be okay because you matter to God. You're never alone. He promised to be with you even to the end of the age. You are not unlovable. You are loved by God in Christ with an unrelenting, unfailing, never stopping, never giving up kind of love. What if the relationship never gets better and then it fails? And if the relationship fails, that means I'm a failure? No. If that happens, you will be okay because you matter to God. Romans says you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your life is not defined by your worst relationship. Your life is defined by your most important relationship. And your most important relationship is God. And he says, y'all are good. You have peace with him. He's good for you and good to you. And even if everyone else left you, you would be okay. As the Puritan said, he who has the warmth of the sun has no fear of the cold, even if all of his candles are put out. What if my health never gets better? What if I'm stuck in this chronic illness for the rest of my life? Then I will never be as productive and useful as I want to be, and then I will have no value because I'm not able to add value. No. If that happens and you never get better, you will be okay because you matter to God. You will be okay because you matter to God. He doesn't love you because you're useful. He loves you because you're his. A bruised reed he does not break. A smoldering wick he does not put out. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light for I am gentle and lowly of heart. If your health continues to fail, Jesus will just continue to love you and he will never fail you. What if I die? What if I die and life is over for me? You will be okay because you matter to God. And in Jesus, death is not the last word over your life. You are hidden with God in Christ. And because you share in his death, you will share in his resurrection. The Bible says the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will all be changed when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You will be okay, friend. Because you matter to God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if you try to find your worth on the other side of your worry, 
you will constantly be searching because it's not there. But if you look to Jesus, you have it in abundance. You are okay and will be okay because you matter to Father, Son, Holy Spirit who loves you, set his seal of approval on you. You have a future that is secure as he is good and true and eternal and living. Do not be anxious about your life. Father, we love you. Would you just turn it down for us, God? Would you please? By your questions, Jesus, by your ministry to us, by your presence with us, the, the hum of worry, the crippling anxiety, the palpable fear. Help us. War against it for us, Jesus. We need you. I wonder, brother and sister, if you would just spend some time talking to God. Would you just, whatever Lynn did, you know, whatever comes to mind when you think about worry and anxiety, however you would state your worry and fear, would you just tell God right where you are? He knows. Just be honest with him. Would you ask for the help to believe? If we just take Jesus' questions, God, help me believe that life is more than food and clothing. Help me believe that life is more than the things I'm afraid to lose. Help us. Jesus, help us to see the emptiness of our anxiety and the worthlessness of our worry. There's no reward. Help us instead to trust you that you can prepare us even for the things that we're afraid of by looking to you, not by looking to our fears. Most of all, most of all, would you pray, Jesus, help us to believe in the heart of hearts, help us to believe that we're going to be okay because we matter to you, God. It doesn't mean no pain. It doesn't mean some of the fears don't come true. It just means that our worst-case scenario in life is eternity with you. And it means that you have promised not to protect us from the things that we're afraid of, but you have promised to be present with us in anything that comes. Help us to believe that we matter to you. Our worth is found in you, oh God. We look to you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.